today's scripture reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 46 through 48. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Vision is a powerful thing for any church to know what it is, what God's vision is for a church. Most churches know where they've been. They can tell you about their past, what they've done in the community, in the world, the things they've been a part of, the ministries they've shared in. Unfortunately, not as many can tell you where they're going. And that's where vision comes in. A vision from God directing a community of faith Apart from its mission, we know our mission to enable all to come, connect, and commit to Jesus. We have our core values, which keep us on track to live out our mission. But a vision, a vision is where God is leading us, who God is calling us to be. The mission is what God is calling us to do, but a vision is who are we or who are we to become if we're not there yet? Earl spent 30 years on his church council. Can you imagine? And a member asked Earl, Earl, you've been on council for three decades. Man, I bet you've seen a lot of changes. Earl went, yep. And I've resisted every single one of them. But a vision is where God wants us to go. We shared last weekend as we launched the series on our, our vision that our staff, our council spent a long time uh, in a cyclical uh, process, um, kicking back and forth a vision statement. And finally, we landed on something uh, and we shared it with uh, all of us last weekend. If you weren't here, what we're going to do right now is ask you if you have an Alleluia playbook. If you don't have a playbook, we've got an usher ready to hand one out for you. So raise your hand if you don't have one, and they'll bring you one right now. You want to make sure you get one. Um, and uh, down here in the middle as well. Come on down. Right here. Excellent. Thank you, ushers. And as they're passing those out, until they uh, get everyone, and Kelly, over here on the side, thanks. This is our Alleluia playbook. We handed this out. It's got the three weekends of our message outlined. Last weekend in the inside cover on the left-hand side, it was week one, high-powered offense. We talked about uh, the three phases of a football game, offense, defense, and special teams. Well, last week we looked at what a high-powered offense in a church looks like. And the thing we learned together is the power doesn't come from us. The power comes from God. And God gifts us, gifts us love, grace, and hope. 
and we embrace that, and then we share that with those around us. The high-powered offense of a church is to first embrace those gifts from God and then be willing to share them with those around us as Christ's light in the world. So on the first page it's, uh, today, if you look, uh, here I'm talking in circles, sorry. Week two, right-hand side, under the text, Luke 9, it says, review our game plan. So over on the left-hand side under Roman numeral one, it shows you our vision statement. We're also going to put it on the screen. You can read it from your playbook. You can read it from the screen. Here we go out loud, everyone together. To be a Christ-centered and welcoming community, embracing and sharing God's grace, hope, and unconditional love. Now we've said it. Now let's read it again together out loud and really, really think about the words we're saying as we say this vision statement together. Here we go. To be a Christ-centered and welcoming community, embracing and sharing God's grace, hope, and unconditional love. This is the vision for this playbook, for this church, for this year, for the years to come. Who is God calling us to be? And if you look at um, Roman numeral two, we're going to talk about stellar defense. But before we get there, how well do you know your famous sports phrases and quotes? Take a look at the screen. Who said, today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth? Who said that? Lou Gehrig, July 4th, 1939. Historians and sports uh, fans believe this is the greatest sports speech of all time. There's a disease now named uh, for him. He stood in that stadium, gave an emotional appeal, and in the midst of the illness said those very words. How about this one? Who said this? I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. Who said that? Michael Jordan, his airness. Who bought, a, who bought part of his clothing at some point in your life? Huh? Raise your hand. How about the last one? I am the greatest. Muhammad Ali, formerly known as Cassius Clay, the Olympic gold medalist who would go on to be the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time, perhaps the greatest boxer of all time, with all due respect to all the other names you're thinking about that is, aren't Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. Float like a butterfly, sting like a... Yeah. He had all the lines, didn't he? I am the greatest. He wasn't afraid to say it. It's probably true in at least the boxing ring. Would you be surprised to learn that the disciples of Jesus were saying the same thing? Would you be surprised to learn that the disciples behind Jesus' back were arguing amongst themselves about which one of them was the greatest? And what did they mean by greatest? Let's look at that. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. In your New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third book of the New Testament. We're going to continue to follow the outline in your playbook. 
Let's look at that first verse, 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the what? The greatest. The disciples began to argue. Can you picture Peter, John, and James? Let's go to the next slide. Can you picture them arguing about this? The 12 chosen disciples. Which one of us is going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? They're really wondering who's going to be seated at his right-hand side. Who will get the right-hand man job with the king? You see, they had a misconception about what Jesus' kingdom would look like. They thought that Jesus was the promised Messiah in the Hebrew, or Christ in the Greek, that would come for God's people, Israel, and put them back on the map. Take them back to the time of King David. Take them back to the time Solomon dressed in all his glory. Take us back to those glory days, Jesus. And when you do, why don't we argue behind his back about which one of us is going to be the greatest, which means have the seat at the right hand of Jesus when he's king. And then Jesus gently and lovingly humbles them. And being humbled is sometimes an interesting thing. One of my favorite stories about that is when, in the 1950s, governor from Massachusetts named Christian Herter, he was campaigning really hard for re-election. And he came to a fundraiser picnic uh, that he was going to have, a rally, and he got his plate, and he was going through the buffet line at the picnic, and he had his plate, and he put his plate out in front of the chicken, who she's handing out the chicken with the tongs, and he gets a piece of chicken, and he keeps holding it, like hopefully she'll put more on. She doesn't. He says, excuse me, ma'am, may I please have one more piece of chicken? And she says, no, one piece per person. And he goes, ma'am, I'm really hungry. I miss breakfast. Could I please have another piece? And she says, no, I've been told one piece of chicken per person. He, and he's a real humble guy, and he, but he wants, he's finally, you know, he's going to play that governor card. So he goes, ma'am, do you know who I am? I am the governor of this great state. And she says, well, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. One piece per person, move it, governor. And down he went. Now, this is funny when it happens to someone else. Let me tell you about a quick story that happened to me when I was at a continuing education event in Des Moines. Anyone been to the convention center in Des Moines, Iowa? Okay. And what, who's been to a business conference of any kind where you wear the lanyard around your neck with your name and your location? I call break time the lanyard break. Okay? Because everyone goes out. And they all walk around, and if you don't know someone, you're kind of you're walking by, and you kind of do the, oh, who's that there? You know, oh, that's the pastor that I heard about from New York. Oh, that's the pastor who knows my brother out in California. Oh, yeah, I think I went to seminary with you, didn't I? So you do lanyard time. I'm with four or five of my colleagues in ministry. We're on break. We're having our Nutrigain bar and our free Diet Coke. And... <laughs> Paul, a pastor from California, walks up to me. I've never met him. And he looks at my lanyard, and I look at his, and he goes, Tim Householder, he goes, oh, I was hoping to meet you this week. And I did the Barney Fife, and I went, really? Yeah, you did? No. Well, hi. I'm, you know, introduced ourselves. He goes, could I, it was Monday. We're going to be there through Thursday lunch. He goes, could I just get like 20 minutes of your time? Maybe we could sit down and just visit for a little bit. I'm like, 
yeah. And I'm thinking, maybe he wants to talk to church structures. Maybe you heard from someone else that I've helped, you know, do a little bit of consulting with other churches and as they think about how they do their governance model or things like that. So I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah, let's find some time. And he goes, and, he goes, and if, if, if we have time, could I tour your church? And I said, well, yeah, but when are you going to be in the Chicago area next? And he looks down at my lanyard and he goes, he goes, Tim, how? He goes, Naperville, Illinois. He goes, oh, I thought you were Mike Householder. Who's my brother? Who, who's the lead pastor at one of the largest churches in the, in the world, in the middle of Iowa? And then he looks back at me and he goes, but I really want to spend time with you too. Guys by me were dying. They're dying. And then, as I told you, it was Monday. I didn't see him again. In fact, I saw him a couple times on break again, and he, like, beelined the other way to avoid me. What is greatness? I'm not the greatest householder brother, apparently. What is greatness in the world? What is the world's standards of greatness? What does it mean? And what is God's understanding of greatness? And what does that mean for you and for me? Well, let's go back to the text. Uh, Luke 9, 47. Jesus, knowing the disciples' thoughts, took a little child and had him stand behind him. Do you wonder where he put him? Beside him. Beside him. Sorry, not behind. Put him beside him. Do you wonder where he put him? At his what side? His right-hand side. The place of honor next to the king. A little child. Now, we don't understand this in 2019. Kids are the center of our universe. Grandkids are even more the center of the universe. Amen, grandparents? And that's okay. But in Jesus' day, a little child was a liability. I don't mean to be harsh, but unless... The, the, the child, the boy particularly, could, could be old enough to, to work in the father's trade or work the farm. They were a nuisance. They were a liability. They were, man, can you imagine? And he takes the littlest one and he puts them at his right, knowing they were arguing about who'd get to sit there someday. And what did he say? 48. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. What is God in flesh telling the disciples here? What is he telling you and me? God's standard for greatness is different from the world's. Greatness isn't about who's the most powerful, who has the best seat next to the king, who has the most toys, who has the biggest portfolio, who has the most friends, who has the most likes on social media. It's not about that, God is saying. God is saying there's a greatness that I'm looking for from my people, and it's not the world's understanding or measuring stick for greatness. There's a greatness that comes from understanding that you need to welcome the least of these. If you want to be great in God's eyes, you need to welcome the least of these. Who are the least of these? Well, look at Roman numeral two for today's outline. Stellar defense. You know, in football, you want to keep 
the, the offense out of the end zone. You want to keep them from kicking field goals. You want to keep them from scoring. You're defending your goal line. You're defending the end zone. You're defending the goal posts. What about for a church? What is stellar defense? It's defending the least of these. It's defending those who can't defend themselves. When Jesus put words to it, he said, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, proclaim the gospel, go and teach all I've commanded you to all people. Go, serve, teach, love, defend those who can't defend themselves, the least of these like a little child at my right hand side. I want to tell you what, in Luke 15, as we look at welcoming community first, letter A under stellar defense, picture Jesus taking this little child and putting him at that important spot, that place of greatness in God's eyes, the little one, the least of these in that group that day. And think about the criticism from the religious leaders of the day on Jesus. They said, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. You bet he did. And any church with their name on the sign better be doing the same thing. Because as Paul writes in Romans 3, we're all sinners and fall short of God's glory. There's no one in Alleluia. There's no one in this room, particularly the one talking to you right now, that's outside of that biblical truth. We all struggle and wrestle with sin. We're all broken. And a church that's about stellar defense is welcoming, welcoming our vision to be a Christ-centered and welcoming community. To welcome all people, just like Jesus did. To be a welcoming community looks for people on the fringes. To be a welcoming community might mean breaking away from our, our friendship network here. And, and I'm not, don't hear me wrong. We want you to have deep friendships here. And we want you to talk to them when you come to week, weekend worship. But are we looking over the shoulder of our friendship networks to see the one who's the least of these? To see the one who may not know anyone? To see the one who comes to worship here for the first time and no one's reaching out to them? Are we that community? Are we that welcoming? Is that our DNA? Or do we just want to kind of huddle in our little comfort zones all the time? Well, I'm going to force an exercise on you right now. You don't have to do it, but they're having fun at the other services. I want you to get up. I want you to introduce yourself to someone you don't know their name and tell them a hobby of yours right now. Get up and do it. Go. Get up. Do it. Someone you don't know, you don't know their name. Just find someone you may not know their name. Tell them your name and a hobby. Go, do it, break away, break free. Get out of your comfort zone. Find someone you're just not sure, maybe you don't know their first name. I'm Tim. Joan. I love, um, sports. How about you? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Nice to meet you, Joe. Yeah. Awesome, Joe. Thank you. Nice to meet you.
All right, come on back. Come on back. Now, yes, that was a forced exercise without apology from me. But what if we were a community of faith where that wasn't a forced exercise? Where that's just the vibe here. It's just who we are. It's just what we do. We look for someone we don't know and we introduce ourselves because we're brothers and sisters in Christ in a bigger family than our closest friends here. It's a wonderful thing to think about. So stellar defense, A, welcoming community. Look back at the outline. B, the least of these. It's what Jesus says. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. To be a church that's looking out for the marginalized, the least of these, the one who wonders if anyone cares, if anyone loves them, to start by letting them know, yes, God loves you through Jesus, but so do we. I want you to meet Jim O'Connor. Take a look at this story. At St. Francis High School in La Cañada, California, there's something to be said about yeah, math teacher Jim O'Connor. Substitute back for why. The question is, what is that something? Or round it. When you think of him, does the word love come to mind? Obviously not. He's very, uh... For whatever reason, none of these kids would tell me what they really think of him. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, none of the boys have come in here and said, oh, God, we have hated him, you know, at times. Nobody said that. I wonder why. He's going to be seeing this, right? Oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Truth is, Mr. O'Connor can be a bit of a drudge. You don't know what you're doing. But the 70-year-old Vietnam vet says he's not here to entertain his students. It drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. E to the KT times E to the C. And for years. Okay. The kids thought that's all there was to him. Until last November, when senior Pat McGoldrick learned they didn't know the half of him. Pat was in charge of a student blood drive and had just come here to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for a meeting. He says it was weird. Whenever he told someone he went to St. Francis High School, they all said, oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful? What? Like, and then it was disbelief, really. It's almost like kind of finding this alter ego that he has. Inside the blood donor center, Pat found a plaque listing all the top blood donors at the hospital, including the record holder, Jim O'Connor. Then he learned something even more unbelievable, that whenever Mr. O'Connor isn't torturing kids with calculus, he's on a whole nother tangent, cuddling sick babies. Come on, you can talk to me. Three days a week for the past 20 years, Jim has volunteered here, stepping in when parents can't to hold, feed, and comfort their children. So low. Nurse Erin Schmidt says he's invaluable. They tend to calm for him. They tend to relax with him. They fall asleep with him. I just like them and relate to them somehow. Is that a smile? Jim's never been married. He has no kids of his own. But he has fallen hard for these babies. I don't want to see him alone. You can't do that. You're not a tough guy at all. I know, but don't, t- don't tell my students. <laughs> if you do the calculation... Sometimes you think you know someone, 
but you don't have the slightest. Sometimes you think you're learning calculus, but the real lesson is life. I've always like respected him, um, but now it's an even a, a different degree really is to the point where I, where I try to emulate him. He's the epitome of a man of service. What you doing? Steve Hartman on the road in Los Angeles. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jim, serving. Serving with the heart of Christ. What are we doing as a church? What are you doing as part of this church? How are you welcoming the least of these? holding them metaphorically in your arms, sharing God's love with them for the sake of Christ. Stellar defense, Roman numeral two in your outline, letter C, the greatest team. What's the greatest team you've ever been on? Was it a sports team? Is it now? Was it a team at work? Is it a volunteer group? What's that team? And as a team jumped in your head, what's, again, the measuring stick for that? Is it because you won something? Or you got the most sales? Or You see, a church family that's about stellar defense isn't as much concerned about how many servants they have, but more interested in how many people they've served. A church made up of people interested in having a stellar defense, it's, it's not a church that is made up of people wondering every day how big their kingdom can get, but rather, how big of a part can I have in God's kingdom? How much more can I serve the least of these? How much more can I give? How much more can I be in step with what God's doing in the world to find that fulfillment that what the world calls great isn't satisfying me with, try as I might. Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's a church with a stellar defense, defending and serving the least of these. Finally, Christ-centered community. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had all the theology, all the history of Israel. He was a scholar. He was a Pharisee. But the one thing he said was, the only thing I wanted to know while I was with you is a person, and his name is Jesus. And that's exactly what a Christ-centered community does. We're installing Mitch this weekend. Let's praise God for that again. All right, Mitch. So I have to end this sermon with a story from my church youth group, which happened about 30 years ago. We were in the Boundary Waters, and just like our church, and we go on trips, we had to break our youth group up because we were pretty big, so we, had to, we can only take so many people into the Boundary Waters of the Minnesota and Canadian border, about as rustic a camping experience as you can imagine. Um, and... Uh, it was life-changing for me as a youth, but one night it was so late and we were so behind and it got so dark, it was scary. We weren't at camp. 
It was so dark, I couldn't see my own hand. The, the, the clouds were over, the moon was not out there, so it was just like, whoa. And our guide told us how we're going to get through. Who's portaged a canoe? Who's had a canoe on top of their head? Okay, so Carl is my canoe partner for the week. And so it's going to be one of us with the pack or one of us with the canoe. We did rocks, paper, scissors. Guess who lost? I'm portaging the canoe. He's got the pack. He's in front of me with his awesome flashlight through the portage trail. And he's showing the path every step of the way. And not only is he showing the light on the path, he's telling me about everything coming up. A rock on the left, a low-hanging low tree on the right. Okay, here comes the incline. Now we're going to go down. Oh, watch out for that rock. The whole way through this long, long portage. I never lost sight of that light, and I never stopped listening to his voice. This year, our theme is light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he says, you are the light of the world because you are a welcoming and Christ-centered community that shares the gifts of God with other people. Hallelujah, may we never stop keeping our eyes on the light of Christ and where he's leading us, and may we never stop listening to his voice as he does so. If we do that, we will be in lockstep with God through Jesus and living out our mission, our vision, and our core values, and we will be a church with a stellar defense defending the least of these. And being a welcoming community that is Christ-centered. Who wants to be on that team? Because that's, that's greatness in our Heavenly Father's eyes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your holy scriptures which stir us, move us, call us to action. Lord, thank you for your son and the words he taught and the actions he taught us with. May we always be mindful of the least of these. May we always be mindful of being Christ-centered and being a welcoming community. Lord, take us as a church to that next level of hospitality and welcoming to all. Take us to that vision that keeps our eyes on the light of the world, Jesus, at all times. And may we always be listening for your son's voice as we live out our vision for you and for your sake. And it's in your son's holy name we pray. And we all said together, amen.